A graphic novel, a TV show Well, it's not TV, it's HBO And will this thing succeed? And by how much, man? Some might cheer and some might scoff Because it's Damon Lindelof But either way we're off To watch some Watchmen Watching Watchmen Talking Watchmen Analyzing Watchmen And maybe arguing over Did you watch that? Did you watch that? Did you see that? Ooh, I saw what that. What you watching? What you I, watching? I, I watched it. I watched Watchmen. Did you watch Watchmen? I watched Watchmen. I watched sure Watchmen. Did. Pete, you watched Watchmen? Oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks for uh, chiming in with a little bit of watch there. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And this is the final episode, of final official episode for now of Watchmen Watch, our Watchmen HBO and comic book podcast. We are doing an episode 9.5, rolling off of the season one finale, See How They Fly. Now, we talked pretty extensively about that last episode there, but held off on any final predictions, assumptions yes. about a season two or anything like that. So we're going to get into all of that here as well as talk about the final PDPedia file, the final episode of the Watchmen podcast, a couple of other articles that I thought were interesting. And by the end of the episode, we're going to get to your questions, theories, and comments that you guys sent us both on Twitter at Watchmen Watch One and also on our Patreon Slack, patreon.com slash comic book club. But first, I want to ask you guys, you fellas, since we've had a little time to marinate in the episode now, mm. marinate in the season, yes. any changes in feelings, overall feelings about everything? I'm ready to go to the grill and be a tasty meal. <laughs> wow. I'm fully uh, marinated. The farther I get away from it, the more I love it. Really? Is there any particular aspect, Pete, that you found yourself thinking about more as you've had these oh, past 24 hours or so? Uh, I just thinking about like just the choices they made when you kind of step back and look at all the thing as a whole and the ride they kind of took you on and the craft in which they did that with each episode. Uh, yeah, I was really impressed. Uh, my big takeaway after thinking about it is just how much they did in this season. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a little bit of recency bias, especially since episode six, the episode that really popped and everyone was like gushing over. But there were the five episodes, episodes before that, there was so much going on there. And uh, it's just crazy how much they packed in into a, uh, a first season of a show that everyone had sort of no expectations for or super high expectations for. And they were able to deliver, satisfy both sides of that. One thing, conversely, that I've been really enjoying over the past day or so now that everybody has finally seen the episode and we've been able to talk about it. And I know, Pete, I've thought about you a little bit while this is happening because I know this is probably your least favorite thing. But I've been really enjoying the possibility of kind of poking around the episode in the season a little bit and kind of trying to poke holes in it here and there, because Ooh, I think ultimately... Poker. This is a fantastic show, and it was a fantastic season of television. Don't poke it. Well, no, but I think when you have something as strong as this, being able to point out, mm, this didn't quite work, this part doesn't work, it doesn't take away from it. 
It just sure. is, it adds to the experience of asking questions, figuring out things that work. And I will say to jump ahead a little bit. Well, that real quick before, like, just yeah. based on your theory there, Alex, um, that's the sleep sleeping bear theory where it's like, mm-hmm. I did this sleeping bear is great, but I do have a couple things I want to poke <laughs> a little bit here. And then yeah. it never ends uh, poorly. Yeah, no, yeah. I, you become friends with the bear, and the bear becomes better and stronger because of it. And the season two of the bear is way better off for, oh, for yeah. it. No, but this is what they've talked about a lot, and Damon Lindelof talks about this quite a bit on the official Watchmen podcast, where he says they argued about everything in the writer's room, uh, specifically things like the Dr. Manhattan timeline. I believe that's the one where they said they talked about it for a solid month just in the writer's room, outside of the writer's room, texting, arguing, and they ultimately don't know if they completely settled on exactly the right thing, but it's something they talked about. So I think in the similar way... That, that's what's fun about it. That's what's exciting about it is that yeah. this is something we're going to be debating and discussing at least until a season two or if there's no season two beyond that for a very long time, just like the comic book. Also, you want to be on the right side of history. And I think at a time where we got Baby Yoda and then Lube Man, I'm team Lube Man all day. Wow, you're pitting Lube Man versus Baby Man. Yoda? That's right. Yeah. Why do you have to choose between those two sides? You think they wouldn't get along? You're right. They might be the best of friends, but, you know. Baby Yoda could sit on Lube Man's shoulder and they could, like. Baby Yoda would slip right off, though, is the only problem. I was just saying. Force-sensitive. Force-sensitive. Oh, okay. Okay. Different shows are giving gifts, you know, like Mandalorian is given this gift of Baby Yoda and, you know, Watchmen is giving us this gift of Lube Man. They're also giving us gifts, which is what I thought you said. (laughs) (laughs) specifically about those two very specific things now let's kick this off though i want to jump ahead because this is the big thing that i cannot believe did not come up on our recap podcast pete i'm disappointed in you not bringing this up at all you bring up lube man now you don't talk about him in our final recap podcast (laughs) because he's the one person who did not show up at all in the final episode and weirdly coincidentally agent dale Petey also didn't show up now, we talked about with the last Pedia files that there seemed to be some very strong indications that Del Pedes was, in fact, Lube Man. Yes. Uh, and that, in fact, maybe his superhero name is Fog Dancer or something like that, because it comes from the novel Fog Dancing that he seems to have taken his inspiration from. But this final Pedia file more explicitly states it that PD has been missing since what went on in Tulsa. He's been fired from the FBI. They really don't like his recap reviews. They think they're stupid. They're getting rid of the, uh, the paper copies, but just leaving it online, you know, for no particular reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we find out that he has, what was it? A large jug of canola oil. Yes. Canola oil. Very viscous oil. Great choice. Yes. So there you go. So I think, it's pretty much confirmed at this point. Dale PD is, in fact, Lube Man. How do you feel we about that it. reveal? I mean, it's it's great. I mean, as you said, it's like the, you know, walking on water moment where you don't need to see it. You know you're right. You hated that, yeah. though. I did. I did. I wanted to bring that up because, uh, <laughs> you know, I still... Talk about poking the... A bear poking himself. I just... I, I I know she was going to walk on water, but being able to see Regina King walk on water would have been so amazing. That Isn't I it fun it. to imagine it? <laughs> That's the most fun. The yeah. theater so, of the mind. 
Let's jump um, ahead. Let's talk. Hold on, real oh, quick. Yeah, um, yeah. I want to see uh, Lube Man cameos in across all television. Mm. <laughs> he slides into every. He show. should just slide every which way. Uh, yeah. It's a it's a little Easter egg that doesn't harm the rest mm-hmm. of whatever show you're working on. So you're saying he's the Deadpool of uh, you know. Uh, I would say the only thing that's tricky about it is we're heading to the end of the year here on the TV season. So a lot of shows have wrapped up. So I guess there's two more episodes left in Mr. Robot's run that are going to go on this week. So I guess he could show up there. Uh, There's also I think the CW is doing world's best dogs. So we could just slide across there. Probably catch a lot of dog care, but it could happen. He he should be a mass singer. Yep. Yep. I mean, uh, you know, right now the infinite... uh, you know, crisis that's going on. Uh, he could slide into that. No props. Yeah. He's the guy who's going to save the day. He's going to take down the anti-monitor, Pete. Yep. It's going to happen. Let's talk about the ending. Now, a friend of the podcast, he was on one of our bonus episodes, Josh Wiggler, did an interview with Damon Lindelof for The Hollywood Reporter that I read. A lot of folks were talking to him, and he kind of said the same thing in every interview, but I did want to uh, point out this one in particular because it covered a lot of ground that I thought we were going to talk about on this podcast. In particular, Damon Lindelof said on the ending a couple of different things. The first thing that he said is, as we were talking about on the recap podcast, part of the reason that Angela's foot touches the water and that's where it ends is because it is this parallel of the last uh, panel of Watchmen. I leave it entirely in your hands. It is supposed to be ambiguous. You could fiddle in your own ending, though clearly Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons and team had an idea of what happens with Rorschach's journal there. Same thing here with Angela, that you can form your own opinion. Did she walk on the water? Did she fall face first into the water and, you know, get a sick burn on her body? However... Damon Lindelof does say that he would say, given all the buildup that they've done, if you get past that point and she does smash into the water, that's a pretty disappointing result. And while he didn't come out and say she has Dr. Manhattan powers now, he did say you can take a look at the poster that we released 15 weeks ago that had Angela Abar in her Sister Night costume standing in front of a clock bathed in blue light, her body completely blue, and kind of draw your own conclusions there. Wow. Really tipping the hat there. Yes. Yeah. But I like that. I mean, this is another thing where it's like they told us everything in advance. They told us exactly what was going to happen, and then they followed through on it. It was like 35 minutes ago. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think... It totally tracks. Like the end of Watchmen, you, it's not like you want the hand to reach for the journal and be like, what's this trash and throw it away. Like the story, when we're allowed to end the story, like don't we just want to end it in the fun place mm-hmm. rather than the, the like, and everything went back to normal. The other uh, thing that he mentioned in a couple of interviews that I thought was uh, a fascinating way of looking at it is from his perspective, this is the end of this part of Angela's story, that the next thing that happens to her, assuming that she does have these Dr. Manhattan powers in whatever form, that's the next chapter in her story that takes the whole show into an entirely different place as far as Angela is concerned. So that's where you end it before she gets to that point. And whether a perspective season two would pick up on that or not, obviously is an open question. Uh, but at least according to him, the place that she begins at and the place that she ends at that tells one concrete story with a beginning middle and end yeah 
That checks out. Do you want to talk about season two uh, predictions now? Is that? Yeah, I think that's a good place to talk about it. I mean, what what do you think? First of all, he said in every single interview, including the podcast, including THR, including everything that I've read, kind of the same thing. And mind you, the Watchmen podcast was taped two weeks ago, I believe two or three days after they had completely wrapped. Well, very soon after they had wrapped production on the whole thing. So he was talking about like. I've only had a, uh, I think he said he had nine or 10 days where he was like, I haven't processed all this. We haven't broadcast the whole thing. I just finished editing it. So I don't have an idea right now. I'm, I don't have that light from the heavens that says I need to make this TV show. I'd love to work with these actors. I'd love to work with these writers, but I just don't have the idea. And he said the same thing when he's done these interviews, which happened the day or two before the episode aired, where still he was like, I don't have that idea. I don't have that push that I had, I feel like I said what I needed to say about Watchmen and in different aspects, he's either said that if somebody else wants to take it and run with it, that's great. Uh, if I come up with another idea, that's great. But for right now I've said what I need to say about Watchmen. So with I think, that, turn it over to you. I think that that's great news because that means when we, the, uh, you know, audience reacts to it with such fervor that gives them a boost, starts conversations. And then maybe when he hears about how popular the Lube Man is, you know, then we'll get some real storytelling. Really get some uh, momentum behind the Lube. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Get the Lube going. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> I I believe him when he says that. And I, I think if I – the way he talks about working on this show – would make me think that he'd be hesitant to dive back in, maybe ever, but definitely not right away, and do another sequel season of this, the season we just watched. I agree with that, how, up to a point. The thing, and I don't know Damon Lindelof, I've interviewed him exactly once, so I have no particular take on him as a person. Exactly but every, once. Wow. But, but Yeah, thanks for not just saying once. Yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> Be approximately once, like one and a half times, something like that. Uh, he, my sense though from these interviews is, I get a sense that like he's lying to himself a little bit because yes, he might have said his magnum opus about Watchmen, but I, I think there's like there's something, there's a nagging itch in the back of his brain that will eventually come to fruition at some point. But to the point that you were saying, Justin, it took him two years to make these nine episodes of Watchmen. It's not going to be like, at fall 2020, here comes Watchmen season two or anything like that. Yeah. I think it's going to be a while while they develop it and figure it I'll, out. But I'll wait I do the two think years if he does back. it, man. It'll be but worth it. It's worth I'll it. wait the two years if he does it. We're going to be all dead by then, Pete. Yeah. No, I refuse to wait. I will not <laughs> wait. I demand if, it. I'll throw this out at you. This is something I was thinking about a little bit earlier today. If Damon Lindelof did not come back for a second season, but HBO was going to do a second season anyway, who would you want to see do it? Oof. J.J. Abrams can reboot it. You know no, I mean? no, he can no, bring no, it back. no, 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 no. And just do the same season again? With yep. some slight yeah. tweaks? <laughs> yeah, some slight tweaks. Just different actors doing very similar things? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm J.J. Abrams, and uh, I, I think it's like a tone poem. You know, just things yeah. kind of reverberate throughout history. Whoa, it's set in Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. I, uh, I, I'll throw out an idea to you. 
What about Tanahisi Coates? Yeah, I mean, oh, that would be amazing. Just well, I don't know if he's done TV. Yeah, I don't think he's really done. I mean, I think he's a great writer and he has a real understanding of the comic book form and really wants to push the comic book uh, form to take in larger and more intense themes. Uh, But I don't know. He's not someone who's done enough television, I feel like, to have a a mastery of it the way that uh, the way that we had this season. Yeah. I mean, I could see something like just because Damon Lindelof has very specifically said the thing that spurred him on to do this season was reading Tata Easy Coats. Yeah. And as you mentioned, Justin, maybe not all of our uh, listeners are familiar, but Tata Easy Coats has been doing several comic books for Marvel that are excellent. He yeah. did an amazing Black Bolt series that was very inspired by The Prisoner. He's been working on Black Panther Black for a Panther. while. He's been writing Captain America. They've all been really good. So I could sort of see a situation where Damon Lindelof says... I don't know, but kind of Kosho runs it with Tanahisi Coates or somebody like that, where like he helps usher it along from the TV perspective, but brings in a powerful voice to craft the arc of the season, potentially. Yeah, I think that could be cool. Though I also think one of the amazing things about this season of the show um, coming out of the, the comic book was that it, it dealt with totally different issues. So I don't think just a, an extension of this, what they were dealing with in this season, it would make sense. I feel like they need sort of a reset hmm. and tackling a new uh, societal issue or a new fear that is uh, dominating society. Yeah. Well, what would you want to see? I mean, talking about other than Lube Men, of course, what would you want to see in a potential season two from um, a Watchmen perspective? I think you could pick it up you know, where it left off. There's still a lot of characters to explore. There's still Night Owl, but um, also the, uh, you know, what she does with the powers and what happens with the kids, like if any of them, uh, you know, have powers or anything like that. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, Night Owl is the big sort of unopened uh, can um, on the shelf. And I think, I, I think I said this before on the show, but like, getting into Night Owl in prison, like in what what he went through or is going through, maybe it flashes back a little bit um, and isn't in present day, and we see him like dealing with whatever he's dealing with there, trying to get out, trying to start over his life, and then the issue becomes like uh, the prison industrial complex and how uh, we treat people who have um, publicly made mistakes in their life and uh, to try to get back, like that to me is a, a fertile ground for something to cover and dealing, adding the superheroic side to that would be really interesting. I also think it would be easy, interesting to see like how Owlman does in jail because he kind of seemed like not Night that Owl. tough. Night Owl, sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And like in, in jail, it would be crazy if it like made him like super hard and he comes out and he's just like a <laughs> badass and like ripping throats and stuff. I guess. I don't know. I... Particularly after this season, I have no need to see Night Owl at all. I would be totally fine with them in a potential season two, completely keeping him off screen. Almost as a running joke in a way. Just like, don't reference him. Because he was, we talked about this when we were talking about the comic book. He was the character as a white man that I really identified with when I was reading the book, where I was like, yeah, he's the hero of the book. He's the nebbishy, nerdy guy. That's me right over there. 
And that's fine, but I think we've moved beyond that in terms of entertainment, and I think this season of Watchmen, the TV show, has shown that there are a lot of other stories, both from people of color, from different races, from different religions, that are worth telling. Of course, but like... They did. They took the story that was centered on, uh, you know, nuclear threat and like mostly white people and told this story this season. So I don't think saying like, oh, Night Owl, he's boring because of that. No, find find the new story that is that uses what he was, because that's the one thing they didn't touch here. So it would make sense to go in that direction. They also didn't talk about Moloch, the mystic or silhouette or Mothman. Uh, yes, lots true. of characters in the universe. Uh, yes, uh, I guess that's a great point. They could um, just do a full pirate season. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but Night Owl is, and I'm not saying he's everyone's favorite character besides you, I guess. Uh, but uh, <laughs> he is one the, one of the main characters, as opposed to um, the series of very off-screen characters that you just mentioned. Sure, that's fair. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, though, just to take a little bit of a step back from the season two, uh, just this is something that we touched on a little bit in the last podcast, and I thought this was a really interesting article with a, a good, strong point. Uh, it was by Ashley Reese on Jezebel. And the title of the article is God is Black and Nobody Batted an Eye. And specifically what uh, she was bringing up was something that in the final episode in particular, it's a little weird that they didn't go harder on the fact that Dr. Manhattan is a black man who is God and white supremacist captured him. And that's why she's saying they don't even bat an eye. Now, I think part of that plot-wise, which she doesn't bring up in the article, is that the 7th Cavalry already knows that Cal Abar is Dr. Manhattan, so it's not a huge surprise. But Mm -hmm. given how hard previous episodes went on racism, the history of racism in America, uh, that felt like something that was left on the table a little bit. That certainly, the reason I bring it up now Tying into a season two, if Angela Abar does have Dr. Manhattan powers, I do think that's something that is very fruitful and a lot can be mined at uh, by writers. Well, I think in the they didn't really touch on religion much. Uh, it was sort of a little bit of a sideways thing. There was a little bit of uh, religious iconography in the last couple episodes, but definitely getting into the religiosity of uh, Dr. Manhattan's powers, especially now that Angela Abar has them, I think is interesting. But uh, on the tip of like why uh, it wasn't a bigger deal in this season, I think it's because the seventh cavalry treated, never treated Dr. Manhattan like a God. They always treated him like a commodity that they were taking advantage of. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think they, that to me tracks with their sort of uh, their hate, the way they hate him and want to just use him. So of course they wouldn't ever take the minute to think like, Oh, this is God. We're we're trying to. Well, uh, I would also argue that I think part of it is just the structure of the plot and something that we talked about on the bonus episode, I think was share Martin narrated a little bit. The fact that, a lot of the relationship between Angela and Cal slash Dr. Manhattan was treated as a romance, not a black romance that the black was second to the romance when usually that's the first part that you see in most media. And I think what they decided to do here was once he is Dr. Manhattan, he is Dr. Manhattan. And the focus there is on those romantic and heartbreaking moments between him and Angela. So to interrupt that with pushing 
the more race-based angle here might have detracted from that ultimate moment of Dr. Manhattan saying, I'm with you in every moment right now. Yeah. Yeah, and I think to that point, it was about the characters at that point. It wasn't, you know, we needed that emotional satisfaction when they Mm -hmm. already developed such a head of steam on the look at society and the way that we are, everyone's lives are shaped by who they are and where they come from. Also, it's nice that, um, you know, when they talked about race and, and uh, brought things up, it was very powerful and like uh, uh, very cool and artistic the way they did it. But also like having that be a thing and then like, you know, you stop and think about that is also really great. Sure. Uh, I want to touch on a couple of things from the Watchmen podcast that we haven't covered yet, and we will get to more season two speculation in your questions. Uh, But a couple of notes that I thought were kind of fascinating, some things that confirmed things that we uh, speculated about or thought were true or inferred were true, others that were pretty surprising. The biggest one to me that was the most surprising is Damon Lindelof came out and said that everything we saw with Adrian Veidt, everything that happened on Europa was the play that he was writing. That when he says in the first episode, I'm writing a play, it's not the watchmaker's son that he's writing. It's actually everything is scripted out to a T, including the trial that he has. And that is why the prosecutor winks at him because she has properly delivered her lines at that point. And in fact, the whole point there, he said, or at least what he took away from it, is that... Similar to how at the end of Watchmen, the comic book, Adrian Veidt talks to Dr. Manhattan and asks him, did I do the right thing? Not because he's worried he did the right thing or not, but because he doesn't feel anything about it. He feels just good about what he did and he doesn't care about killing three million people. They tried to get the same sense through these scenes in Europa where... Adrian Veidt sets up a point where he gets to a trial. People are screaming guilty, guilty, guilty at him, but he still doesn't feel anything. And that's eventually why he actually leaves, why he doesn't stay there, all those things. But I thought that was a really fascinating thing to hear out loud and to walk through. Yeah, I love that. Um, I hadn't thought of that either. And But it, it also like makes sense. He was in a place where he was just worshipped as a god and he got bored very quickly. So he had to generate drama and uh, he did, he created all this like goofy, weird drama with all these like clone people. Yeah. Adrian Veidt is all drama all the time. Total drama queen. (laughs) He's the smartest drama queen alive. (laughs) Wow. Uh, And Europa is known for its drama program. Exactly. I tried to get in there, but I ended up going to Cornell University instead. I don't know if I mentioned that on this podcast. That's a theatrical powerhouse. (laughs) Cornell, known for uh, the (laughs) legion of actors that it kicks out. Yes. Uh, The other thing uh, that we've mentioned quite a bit, but they talked about on the podcast that I wanted to bring up because not because they talked about on the podcast, but because it's a question that's been nagging at me a little bit over the past couple of days. Uh, Lindelof also confirmed that according to them, uh, a Dr. Manhattan definitely died. And B, he can only see in his own lifetime, which is something that we've talked about quite a bit. Um, So here's my question for you. How does he know about the moment on the pool with Angela because he says to her, you need to see, but me on he's this... just, hold on. He's just say... oh. hold on. Uh, <laughs> he says to her, you need to see me on the pool 
for later, he's dead by that point. He doesn't know that she's picking up the egg. He doesn't know she's going to walk to the pool and walk on the pool potentially. How does he know about that? Because he's leaving the egg for her to do that. So that's what she'll do with the egg. She'll eat the egg and then walk to the pool and do the thing like I showed you to do. It's instructions. Uh, I, th- I think it could be that. It could be like he's like, hey, you know, it's it's a cool thing to walk on water. So like maybe make <laughs> that like your first move. Uh, it's great. Really hypes you up. Um, but I think that the other way to look at it is, yes, he died there, but his powers live on. So like it's his li- it, like he maybe only senses his his lifetime, but we don't know. I think there's some uh, looseness there that he is still aware of certain things. Yeah, I think the trickiest thing about it is it is nearly impossible for a human being to wrap your mind around paradoxes and time travel. And there are always things that are not necessarily going to make sense, even when you lay them out. So I'm sure they talked about that in the writer's room. I'm sure they came up with some sort of explanation. But it is one thing to me that feels like, "Mm, but that's outside of his experience. So I'm not quite sure. Wow, that's a weird line to draw in the sand, bro. (laughs) <laughs> well, again, Pete, like I was saying at the beginning, when you poke a bear, it's a positive thing. And here we're poking that bear and the bear's going, thank you for poking me. That yes. never happens when you poke a bear, bro. No, the only words wrong. that bears can speak are thank you for poking me. <laughs> Every bear knows those words. So it's for like I'm Groot. But- yes, I am Groot for bears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I mean, like you're, you're going to need to see this for later, like. He, she's going to need to see every aspect of his powers for later. So that may Love have just been anecdotally what he was saying. He, he should have said that then. You know, oh he, my God, he really messed ridiculous. up. That's my point. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Paul Colts and Dr. Manhattan. That's a great another thing. He, should, he, he should have said, spoiler, <laughs> listeners, uh, yeah. I'm walking on water so she can later do that at the end. Right. Oh, after yeah. she eats the egg. After she eats the raw egg. That would have uh, been the coolest move. Lindelof also confirmed uh, what we talked about for the very first episode, uh, that Judd killing the guys, blasting them out of the sky in the plane in the first episode was, in fact, to cover things up, which I thought was just a good good note to throw in there. Uh, Two crazy things, I thought. One, the elephant. They talked about the elephant uh, and said, yes, it's kind of a random element. Uh, the it's a random elephant, if you will. And they came up with a bunch of different possibilities. And Lindelof said initially what he wanted it to be. And the writer's room talked him down from was he wanted it to be an Angela clone in that room. And he was pretty jazzed about that idea. And yeah, ultimately, that's, that's where I thought it would be. You thought it was going to be a clone. Really? Yeah. Oh, that really? Would be Why so did you weird. ever say that before this point? No, I'm saying like an older version of her, like, like, because that who else could share that with her or Louis Gossett Jr., I guess, because he's family. Yeah, I mean, I think you were supposed to think that it was Will Reeves. Uh, she but, thought that. Yeah, right. She thought that. And we as an audience were supposed to think that. Uh, but initially, the idea was a clone. And then they said too many clones. They came up with the idea with an elephant for exactly what you think. It's because an elephant never forgets. Uh, right. They also noted that because of what happened with Lady True, seems like an elephant that is essentially a hard drive full of memories right now is wandering around out there. So big yeah, season that, two thing as well. That oh, elephant's yeah. fucked up, man. Oh, man. Because yeah. he's a elephant. If they do a second season, I want it to be called Loop Man and the Memory Elephant. 
Oh, uh, yeah. Come one. on. Who wouldn't watch that? Yeah. Isn't that the name of the Doctor Strange movie? <laughs> Something like that? Doctor Strange, Lou Bad, and the Memory Elephant. Yeah, I think that's yeah. coming up. Sounds yeah. right. Um, I mean, I understand why he would... Because the clone would have been a great visual reveal. Like, she opens the door and she's looking back at her. Mm-hmm. But I think right after that first second, it would just be such a bummer. Because <laughs> it, it, it would call into question so many things. And like, oh, now who is this person? Does she get to run around? And exist. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely raises too many questions that they didn't need to deal with at that point. Last thing is that's a hell of a change, though, from a clone to an elephant. That's a big left turn. That's the title of my autobiography. (laughs) What if it was an elephant with Angela's hair? (laughs) <laughs> oh, what? Dude, what? Oh, that would be best really of both cool. worlds. <laughs> oh, the elephant knight, if you will. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Sister Fant. Yeah. The elephant with the motherfucking peanuts. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Uh, last thing, uh, which I thought was kind of an interesting note, uh, he talked about the Vite statue, and he said mm-hmm. specifically that whole plot line in a certain way, and this is crazy, was inspired by Saw 2. That hmm. apparently in Saw 2, there's this whole playing with timelines thing where uh, Donnie Wahlberg's character is trying to find out where his son is. His son's been kidnapped by Jigsaw. Yes, Turns the Adrian out- Veidt of Saw 2 is uh, yes. Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> of course. I'm surprised they didn't get him for this show. Uh, and apparently his son is actually in a box next to him the entire time. Saw to not only inv- uh, inspired the idea of the Vite statue, it also inspired the end of Lost Season 3, where they do the time jump, and you think it's taking place in the past, but it's actually taking place in the future. So multiple shows that David Lindelof has done have been inspired by Saw 2. Wow. wow. What a cultural nexus point. There wow. you go. Sort of the a Midsummer Night's Dream of uh, modern horror movies. Ooh, I like that. Let's move on to some viewer questions and theories. First one we'll do, this is John on our Patreon Slack, said, unpopular opinion, but I don't like the lack of trust Lindelof has in his audience. I don't need a voiceover or flashback every time something references an earlier episode. Now, we talked about this quite a bit on our last recap podcast. Uh, What are your all take on that? Uh, I mean, I don't think he's trying to be like, see, he's not trying to, the way I took it, it wasn't handholding to me. It was like part of the visual uh, experience of of the show. And so much of it was about how memory uh, gets jumbled in with your present life and like trauma from the past, images from the past come and affect you in the modern day. So to me, it wasn't about like walking you through the plot. It was more about like letting it wash over you in the same way that it is the characters. Now, uh, normally I would agree with John because there's nothing I hate more than when somebody like slaps you in the face with something. It's like, hey, remember this part? Uh, you're, I don't believe you're smart enough to hold on to this information. Um, I do say that to you a lot when it comes to our <laughs> lives. Fuck you. Pete, don't uh, you remember me? I saw you a week ago. Whatever. Slap. So, uh, Sorry, think- Pete, do you remember the rest of your point? Yes. Slap. so i just think that you know in this case because the show is so crazy and because i i didn't feel like it was doing that i felt like it was uh it was done in a way that like justin said didn't kind of feel like that uh but did give you information i didn't feel like it was repetitive 
Uh, well, let's uh, move on to another one. This is from Rockdale Tiger on Twitter. A couple of things he has to say here. The last two weeks of PDpedia have all but confirmed that PD was lube guy. However, do you think that was really the intention of the show? There isn't a single additional on-screen hint to this. Was surprised that he was the only character never mentioned in the finale. Uh, I I agree. I think this was something they maybe saw blow up a little bit and leaned into. As far as I've heard, Lube Guy was something that even the writers were kind of surprised made the final cut of the show. So, I don't know. It's a great moment, but it's definitely something that people have uh, uh, focused on to a much larger extent than I think they necessarily meant. Well, I I, uh, I think I read it on, uh, you know, I don't know if it was, you know. LubeGuy.com? LubeGuy.com, probably. But uh, I heard that the pitch was Lube Guy, and they built Watchmen ar- just <laughs> around it mm-hmm. so that it, uh, they kind of Trojaned horse uh, Lube Guy series, which is going to happen. Yeah, it's a spinoff. It's like when they introduced um, uh, an Empty Nest in the episode of Golden Girls. Right. right. <laughs> That's called a backdoor pilot. Indeed. Yeah, it's like Frasier from Cheers. That's right. Or um, that episode of the Brady Bunch that spun off some other family. Yep. The, the, I don't have, I don't know. I got nothing. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Uh, That said, I think they, they're so careful with everything. They probably were not like, we don't know who this lube guy is. They probably knew it was PD, but then ultimately that's something that just didn't pan out. Yeah. He's such a hero, superhero worshiper that, of course, like he's going to put a costume on, and of course, he's going to choose the, a very stupid one. So, like, I love it as just I, a very sideways little thing. I think it was kind of one of those things where PD was kind of infatuated with her and like followed her around, and then like dressed like that to kind of like you know fight crime because that's his superpower, and just kind of got busted tracking her, and she saw him. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Wait, what are you, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> his superpower was what? Being skinny? Yeah, Lube Man is his superpower. Like I don't he, think that's a superpower. He travels through the sewers. Like he can get in and out of the sewers anytime. That's not a superpower. That's a, a burden. That's when you <laughs> can't get on the subway anymore. You're like, all right, I guess I'll just take the sewer. Because like, are you saying the only superpowered <laughs> characters in this season of Watchmen were Dr. Manhattan and Lube Man? <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, if he's going through the sewers, there's probably a lot of organic material that Dr. Manhattan has dumped there, and he's just Mm. getting it. Like, whether he's eating it or not, as he's sliding through the sewers, he's definitely getting some of it caught in his mouth. Yeah. That's a great point. Sorry, Lube Man fans. He's eating shit. Uh, Chris. Uh, He also says, Rockdale Tiger also says, I like the ambiguity of Angela's fate. However, if they do a season two, I think it's better for no one to have Dr. M's powers. Would like to see Vite thrown in jail with Night Owl, basically just a Watchmen version of Oz, minus the shitting in each other's mouths. Wow. Uh, Really predicted that. But I got to check it out on HBO Go now, I guess. Yeah, that's an advertisement for you, right? Uh, what do you think about that? Do you want them to not follow Angela at all and instead do a little caged heat with Night Owl and oh my God. Adrian Veidt? I mean, I've already made my pitch uh, for the Night Owl in prison season, so I'm very down for that. Um, I mean, the thing is, this this season was all about Dr. Manhattan looming over the series and eventually becoming the centerpiece uh, by the end. So I just they need to do something wildly different from that. Um, 
so I don't know what that would be. I'll, I'll throw out a pitch to you because one thing that I think really helped this season a lot was taking a literal time distance from it, that you were able to get enough time from the original Watchmen to go 30 years to do this. Obviously, there's real-world time where we've been thinking and talking and marinating about Watchmen, but you also had that for the world and the characters. I think it would be interesting for them to take a massive time jump, show us Topher as an adult taking on whatever his superhero identity is, and follow that. And then you can loop in the characters in the same way, but allows them to get that distance so you can start fresh with a new story. I think you meant lube in. Not nice. looping. I was thinking the same thing, and for once, I did not want to interrupt. <laughs> uh, cool. This is from Erin on Patreon. She says, I was losing my mind with how she ate that egg. I would have at least soft-boiled it. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was pretty gross, but yeah. I feel like she would have killed the Dr. Manhattan, right? Yeah, I don't know. At what temperature does it does Oh, it that would have been hilarious. <laughs> she accidentally cooks out the Dr. Manhattan in the egg. No, she just gets some of the. She just gets blue body, blue genitals instead of like really, the whole power set. Yeah. Now, one thing that I occurred to me after we were talking about the episode with the egg is she essentially gets fertilized by the egg, right? If we assume that Doctor Manhattan's powers go into her, uh, so that's not just like a dead egg. That's something with something a little extra in it. And the first episode, we got the same thing when she cracks open the egg. One of the eggs has a blood spot. So, you know, that there was something alive and potentially growing in there. So again, they gave us that information and then paralleled it from the first episode to the last episode, which I thought was kind of cool. Yes. Uh, This is from. Yes, Pete. I was going to say that brings up the point that uh, I've been talking to people about. A lot of the people I've been talking to are very excited about the rewatchability of this season. Mm -hmm. Like now that we have all this great stuff to go back and see what they can see. Yeah, I think that's something that is great about this show and has made it a worthy successor to Watchmen the comic book is Watchmen the comic book has a ton of re-readability. You can go back, find new things every time. Same thing with the TV show. And they've made each other richer by existing. Yeah. Yeah, just like the three of us. Yes. Oh, boy. We made so much money off of this podcast. It's true. We made each other emotionally richer. What are you going to buy? You guys both have nicer houses than I do. Is there some... Uh, I'm I mean, in a scary basement. <laughs> <laughs> this is from Lauren on Twitter. Uh, technically, True can come back. So can Dr. Manhattan. What happens to the Jupiter moon children? That's irresponsible. And what the fuck happened to Lube Guy? Also, Lady T really outsourced racist to do her work in her capturing Dr. Manhattan. Uh, we talked about Lube Guy. Yes, Lady T really outsourced racists to do her work, but only so she could punish them. Uh, I, do I don't think t- that's fair. I don't think she, she she was just tracking their plans and was taking advantage of them. She didn't set that in motion. You don't think so? No, no. that was all part of her plan. No, I don't think so. Um, because she didn't cause the White Knight. Mm-hmm. The White Knight happened, and that's where the Seventh Cavalry learned about Doctor Manhattan. Right. Yeah, but she then was like, uh, gave them the plans to make the Doctor Manhattan like suck powers thing. I, I don't think they gave her. She didn't give them the plans. They were 
doing their plan and she was providing uh like they bought the technology from them from her so well, stole the technology from her yeah I stole think. yeah uh, but so with it, her permission right so i guess at that point they were their plan was in motion so she mm-hmm. they weren't working for her she was taking advantage of them and and spurring them along for her own ends i don't know i mean like she had that one scene where she walked right in that house and bought that property in like a very timely manner and she knew why and when like yeah but that was part of her plan right but i think this is also part of her plan uh, let's talk about Jupiter Moon Children. This is something that I got very worried about today. Do you think with Dr. Manhattan dead, the world on Europa collapses? Or does it stay uh, together even though he's gone? Uh, that's, I was thinking about that, too, because I was wondering if Dr. Manhattan has to like pay attention to keep it going. Like The whole time Vite was over there, was he sort of like... Thinking about it in the back of his head, like, oh, I think it's like once he starts the world or whatever, he can walk away and it's it's self-sustaining. Yeah, I I agree with Pete. I think he sets it in motion, uh, much like God, uh, another God, and it goes. Not familiar. uh, Has he been on our podcast? Yeah, he's in our American Godcast. Oh, okay. Uh, So I think I do think they continue on despite Mm -hmm. uh, the lack of Doctor Manhattan. Okay, and what about uh, technically true can come back, so can Dr. Manhattan. What do you think? Are they 100% done? Is the door open for them coming back? What's your take? How can true technically come back? I don't know. Uh, Clones? I think they're dead. They're dead. They lost. Both of them? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. She might have kept... Oh, go ahead, Pete. She might have kept vials of sperm around and, you know... What? Whose sperm? (laughs) <laughs> Lady no. True Sperm. I'm saying Careful. eggs. She can keep oh, eggs God. around. We, and, hold yeah. on. We're going to have to take a quick break in the podcast and explain to Pete how babies are made. Yeah. yeah. Seventh grade biology. Biting you in the ass. Oh, boy. Uh, where were we? Oh, Jason Williams on Patreon. I was wrong about my opinions of Angela falling in love with domestic daddy, Zaddy. Doc Manhattan, in a way, Tunnel Cal was an upgrade because he could finally be present with Angela instead of experiencing all time at once. Scenes like Angela's last words with Cal, Angela talking with her grandfather in the theater he used to frequent back in the day, or Veidt taking the time to write Daughter as Europa, all bring in the themes of family as well as my tears. Uh, Mm. So I have a question about Cal, because this is something, again, that they talked about quite a bit on the Watchmen podcast, and they were kind of slagging off Cal a little bit. And I don't know if they were using the word boring, but certainly they were using the like they were calling him kind of unremarkable and bland. That's not what I took away from it at all. And I, I think most viewers felt like, wow, he is a really good Nice husband, right? Yeah, I, I thought that too. I don't think I, I people think he's boring because like he didn't have a lot to contribute to the plot until the reveal. So I think people was just like, "Oh, why are we seeing him? He's just doing normal things." So people are like, "He's boring." Yeah, well, I'll say this: you're boring. Wow. You're boring. Do you're something boring. interesting. I'm gonna reveal my who I truly am eventually, and then then you'll see. Oh boy. Just wait till episode end of episode seven of our lives. <laughs> Can't wait, man. Uh, Daniel Cabral on Twitter says, truly the perfect sequel to the comic. Adrian shows he's stuck in 1985 
that is dying to be remembered, which he will as he comes uh, our squid in history. I hope there is no season two when makes Watchmen the comic series and show great is how it relates to the current political climate. Yeah, it's also this just occurred to me. Dr. Manhattan experienced love and being human before his death, something he's wanted to have and understand, which made his death peaceful to me. What do you think oh, about that? Nice. I, I agree. I think that's a nice way of looking at it. Yeah. I don't agree with the not wanting a season two. I just think that, like, there's a real possibility for some more artistic, well-done stuff. So, What if they just jump to season three? Ooh. Whoa. That would blow my mind. From Stray Bullet on Patreon, um, my guess, and this is more of a for a Thursday podcast, I think, guess what it is, is that if they do a second season, which I'm almost sure they will, they will focus on different characters altogether. They could still focus on Lori, maybe tie the show around the FBI, and then see Dan in the second season and focus on Night Owl side. I also doubt Manhattan is dead. He gets blown apart and put together all the time. I kind of hope they just leave the Angela reveal hanging. Uh, I would love to see Law and Order a special Watchmen's unit. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, that dun, would be dun, very dun, fun. Dun, Red Scare. Dun. Yeah, just investigating mysteries, having a good time. What I'm do you down. think the possibilities are that they could bring back Dr. Manhattan? I know that we just touched on that, but we mostly talked about Lady True. Is Dr. Manhattan 100% done at this point? I think it'd be crazy to bring the mm-hmm. act- actual Dr. Manhattan back. Pete, any anything additional? <laughs> I just think that you're just going to sit I, I there, think, kind of thinking about how babies are made for a second. No, I'm I'm just thinking about like, do I want Doctor Manhattan back? I really think that uh, the passing the torch it, to go back on that would kind of be negating a lot of the first season. So I just think keep it for a while. You know, it doesn't have to be forever since he can regenerate and crazy shit like that. But you know, I think they'd be stupid to go back right on it. What if it, it could be more of a mystery where just like a massive Dr. Manhattan just starts walking around the surface of the earth wrecking shit. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a little bit of the, the menace, but also the mystery of like, what is this and why is that happening? Or you could see a sort of thing in season two where you do exactly what happens in the comic book, where pieces of him start appearing throughout the episodes, right? Like you have a circulatory system show up and a skeleton show up, a brain show up, and it slowly pieces together until he shows up at the end. You could do something like that, but I'm on board with what Pete's saying. I think we've moved past that as a narrative and we are done with him and we're good. Agreed. Last one from Dr. DC podcast. Hope I'm not too late. You are not right on time. Everything happens at the same time. The show only gives him a few throwaway lines, but I'm wondering what you feel is Dryberg's story role in the intervening years that led to the events of the show. He's in prison now. His show was appropriated by the cops. I'm curious. Uh, now, I would say go to the PDPD files, first of all, because there is uh, is some more information in there in terms of what happens. Uh, he, Dan Dryberg and Lori Blake were both arrested, stopping Timothy McVeigh from going through with the Oklahoma City bombing. He didn't give up anything about Adrian Veidt and his plan, and so ultimately was thrown in prison while Lori Blake did and was ultimately recruited by the FBI. Uh, but what else, other than being in prison, do you think there's anything that happened with Dryberg's storyline in the intervening years? It sounds like he got a little bit, uh, his sort of innocence uh, side from the comics went away 
just the way that he interacts with Laurie and uh, from the PDP files and the other stuff we learned about that he made Excalibur to a sort of a feels like a nasty present for mm-hmm. his uh, his ex. So I think there's definitely more of a, a cynicism to him. Pete, you have any theories about Night Owl in the intervening 30 years? Yeah, I think that definitely I agree with Justin that he's changed. It is what's nice is there's a lot of different ways you could kind of go about that with the information we have. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it would definitely be worth checking out if they did do a season two. All right. Before we wrap up here, any final thoughts on Watchmen, Pete? Uh, I can't. I, the casting was so superior, and the acting was really unbelievable. Um, I just, yeah, it's really great, and it's an easy recommend for people who are like, oh, I like comic book stuff, but I'm not sure what to get into. Saying season one of Watchmen is a no brainer. Um, and for me, like this is great, uh, fun stuff. I'm look. I want to check out this Watchmen movie. By, uh, you. by Zach, uh, hold on, Zach Snyder. Yeah, I'm going to try yeah. to check it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought this was phenomenal, and I want to thank all of you in the listening audience for following along in this. We really appreciate it a lot. Uh, this has been a fun ride going through the comic book, going through the show, doing the bonus episodes with all of our amazing guests. I also want to give a big thank you to Jeff Solomon, who composed the theme music yes, that so I have good. enjoyed putting on the show every Jeff, single episode. And Jeff and Jeff and <laughs> every Jeff. single episode. Uh, that's been delightful. Now, we are wrapping up this this season we may try to pop in here and again because there are so many other things in the world of Watchmen there are the movie well movies because there's multiple versions of it there's video games DC is releasing more books they're finishing up more books so lots more to talk about until and uh, leading up to a potential season two so keep those feeds fresh because who knows when a secret may or may not appear in your ear holes Uh, but for now uh, that is it for Watchmen Watchmen Watch. You can support us on patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater Loft in New York. Come on by and we will keep breaking down Watchmen with you. Social channels you can check out Twitter, Watchmen Watch One. Also, Watchmen Watch Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, subscribe and comment on iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice. And remember, we tape this podcast. 35 minutes ago. 35 minutes ago. Oh, I thought you were going to do that, Pete. Yeah, too. Pete, were you going to do that too? <laughs> uh, nope. Oh, there's Luke Guy. <laughs>